Traveling the Vortex. as he travels the vortex and arrive at episode number 303 praise be to the wise ones i'm keith i'm sean i'm lynn how are you guys you're tired tired long weekend i don't love the monks you don't love the monks Mm -mm. (laughs) i suspect ulterior motives (laughs) great now they're gonna show up at our door yeah the mind memory crimes are gonna start showing up let (laughs) them Do you guys have a good weekend? I got a whole bag of stuff here for these guys. <laughs> we did have a good weekend. We did have how, a good how weekend. How was Omaha and British Fest? It was fun. It was fun. It was a fun convention. I think everybody that went had a good time. The guests were amazing and very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Energetic, very welcoming, very... Gracious. 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 Thank you. That was the word. I was going to say gratuitous, but I don't think that was... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they were grateful. Been, but might have tipped their hosts. <laughs> we have audio from panels that is being assembled that we will share with you guys. I'm going to tip the one thing that's about the 36-minute mark in the panel you have to make sure you're ready for. Dr. Phil, that means no driving. Um, <laughs> and you may want to adjust the volume down a little bit. I'm... A, I'm struggling with trying to balance that part of it but um it's i look, a, I look forward to hearing more of your guys's uh adventures in the side trip it's a pretty amazing little segment so it was the highlight of the con <laughs> the highlight. i can't wait to hear it then and moose as usual had a, a his, his grand assortment of um uh, props and the davros chair was phenomenal it was so pretty but uh we'll talk about that later so. do you guys do anything else Eight fazolis in the past yeah, week. We did eight <laughs> How many times did you guys have fazolis? Just one. Just, Just one. We had a little fun with the. Uh, <laughs> we had a little fun with it. Whipping Sean, that horse. Sean. Uh, <laughs> Sean took a picture of it and said, "His usual because I'm usually not there when you guys eat fazolis." Yeah. And, and texted me or tweeted me, "Hey Glenn, fazolis." <laughs> Like he was taunting me, of course. Then I had to respond. I'm sitting right across the table from you, <laughs> half as always. So that was kind of fun. We had some fun with that. So then I sent it to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hashtag apparently Glenn is here. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get nearly my fill of breadsticks. They uh, fell down really on the job on that. This time, weren't they? But I wonder if there's a starting to be more stingy because the last time I went to, they didn't quite. Same way. Yeah, I had to go up and ask for one. That's not how it should we be. We had asked for that second match, didn't we? Mm-hmm. We flagged him down. I even warned him ahead of time. It was like, you see me? You see the baby? We're going to eat breadsticks. <laughs> you just bring them now. Didn't show up. Uh, That's okay. It was still Fazoli's. Yeah, it was good. As usual, I've come to the party late. I finally listened to all of Alexander. Or all, all of, yeah, all of Hamilton. Excuse me. Oh! The, the last name, <laughs> not the first name. All of Hamilton. So, and that's uh, phenomenal. You're a ham fan. I've now. been, yeah, oh yeah. I've been listening Whatever to bits and pieces of it because uh, Holly and Caitlin listened to it, but it never got all of it in context. Now I, I know a little bit about Alexander Hamilton anyway, but um, but listening from beginning to end, you really get a lot out of it. The context really is good. 
And it's such a good cast album that you can listen to it from beginning to end and get the entire story. Yeah. There, there's, not, there's not a lot of dialogue well, scenes in there between. Well, because there is no dialogue. Well, there's hardly it's, it's any. It's all music it's pretty or, much. Or, or rap is yeah. pretty much all it is. Now, there, yeah, there's a little bit. There, but there's, there's, there's even the dialogue that's in scenes. it. Even the yeah. dialogue that's in it is, is on the cast albums. So. Although there is an, a song that's not on there. Oh, is that right? Yeah. If you pick up that book, the Hamilton, uh, whatever it's called, that I read last year, yeah. it, had, it includes that other song. Oh. And he actually writes a note in there of... Yeah, this is a song not on the cast album. We wanted to save something out for those who actually got to go see the. Oh, that's cool. And it's not as songy as the others, so oh, it's more of a extended. You don't scene. lose anything with it not in there, so. Uh, uh, no, not really. I mean, it, it. I had a question of why, why something, and that filled the gap for me. But. Huh. Very cool. I thought I heard you humming it before show. I was. <laughs> my my favorite is is King George's song. Oh yeah, uh, it's just the the way that they help drive the narrative, and and even kind of uh, lift the brevity at times. Oh is, yeah, is terrific, and they're placed so well. And just so well. In done. fact, I told Holly tonight. I said, you know, if I ever got a part in that, that's the one I'd go to. <laughs> I've often thought the same thing. It's, yeah, uh, so so much fun. You know, my favorite. Hey, it's okay because you're welcome. <laughs> wrong, I, wrong musical, right? Composer, I, wrong, right, yeah. Wrong I, I don't. I'm, I've not. <laughs> I've not yet been indoctrinated into Ham. I'll have to lend you my cast album. I would like that. I'd like to try it, unless it's like Les Mis. No, because I know. I, I and I, I mean no disrespect, Glenn. I know Les Mis is up there in your upper pantheon of musicals. I just don't like that one. I've tried. I went and saw it live, thinking that would make a difference. I've watched the movie, and it's just kind of, it's just kind of there for me. I'm only one time through Hamilton, and it's perhaps nudged it out of my top spot. Really? Wow. That good. It is. What did you do while we were gone? (laughs) We went and saw Wonder Woman. Woo! I thoroughly enjoyed it. I also saw Wonder Woman. I don't want to. I don't want to give because I know Glenn. (laughs) Glenn's getting up to leave. He's leaving the room. But I didn't want to give too much of a... I no spoilers. I didn't love it as much as I thought I would. Really? Yeah. However, it is absolutely the best DC movie so far. Of the... Of the, the, of, of the new. The DCU. Yeah. And yeah. arguably it's better than any of the Dark Knight trilogy. Oh, I see. I don't know if it's better than Dark Knight. Well, maybe not Dark Knight, but I was thinking... It's the it, best one since Dark Knight, for yeah. sure. Yeah, definitely. But in a different way, I think. Yeah, the, the action was fantastic. It, it's still a very dark film. And I expected it to be a little lighter. And I know a lot of that darkness is because it's World War One. Yeah. And you can't do World War One and not be dark. Because that's a dark war. I, and I, and I, I kind of came to grips with that throughout the movie. There's a speech that happens that it feels like it's coming from Zack Snyder personally. About hor- how horrible humanity is. <laughs> I thought and, that myself, actually. <laughs> and... Well, there's some things I want to say, but I can't go into too much detail without spoiling the aspects of it. Mm-hmm. But it, it felt like they're going in the right direction, but it wasn't quite there enough for me. I enjoyed it. It was good. It wasn't better than any Marvel movie, in my opinion. Um, the optimism wasn't there that I was hoping was there. It was It was in the movie. It just wasn't to the height that I hoped. Maybe I had too high of expectations. I don't know. It could be. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved this movie. I had an absolute Sarah blast. Sarah absolutely loved it. Yeah. And I appreciate so much of the little things that they did. There's a moment that I'll have to make sure to point out to Glenn after he sees it, that see if he noticed. 
just a bunch of little things that were oh you got it you nailed it oh that was perfect oh that's great uh, just on and on and on throughout the the film and you're right the action set pieces were actiony and amazing and and, and pretty great um, I could have done without a little bit of the 3D or the slow mo um, you know the Zack Snyder esque. The Zack Snyder esque. You know what's really what really impressed me? I didn't know about this until after. There was only one reshoot in that entire film. Really? And it was a minor scene. Patty Jenkins, which is amazing. Yeah, directed the wheels off of it. She did a great oh, job. Oh yeah, she did a fan. Yeah. And Kansas native. Yeah. So you're this welcome. From Lawrence. Yep. This is the uh, picture I think that says it all right now. And that is 100 percent true. Oh yeah, absolutely. State of the DC universe and it's Wonder Woman. It's actually a shot from a comic book and it's Wonder Woman with uh, Superman slung over one shoulder and Batman slung over the other shoulder and she's carrying them. <laughs> I thought, oh, that speaks volumes. Right that, that is absolutely it. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I know a lot of people are comparing it to Captain America. and Only I because I, it's period I piece, think that's the reason for it. I think period yeah. piece. It, it reminds me, honestly, a little bit more of Iron Man. Just the, the the way that Iron Man is, regardless of whether it was a superhero movie or not, it's just a solid, well-made film. That's what this kind of evoked for me. So, but I no, definitely, definitely go see it. It's oh yeah, it's definitely so it's good. Heads and shoulders above any of the other DC films. I just, I guess I had maybe I just had my expectations too high. Oh, I quit doing that with DC. <laughs> well, I I kind of also had it as this is the final. This is their last chance. Yeah. <laughs> and I think they did redeem themselves enough. I'd still a new trailer for Justice League makes it look like a train wreck. <laughs> That's what Mel said. Oscar Snyder's all over that one again. Yeah, and I want to have faith because Whedon started working on it and he's taking over. But I'm afraid he's coming on just too late. Yeah, I, I, I kind of in the same boat. Mel was like, I kind of am sort of excited about the Justice League movie now, and I just kind of went, mm, <laughs> maybe. I mean, I want to be, I really want to be optimistic about it, but I don't think so. We'll find out. And I'd, I'd be really excited to see a Wonder Woman sequel. Because obviously oh, totally. it did well enough that they're going to do another one. Yeah. So, and if they get, especially if they get Patty Jenkins back. I thought the acting was phenomenal in all of it. And just some of the tone was darker than I thought it was going to be. I don't even know if it was tone, but I agree with you. Like... The, the stuff on Themyscira being bright and colorful I, I was gorgeous. A lot more of that. And getting to the war, and of course as soon as they show up in London, it goes to that weird blue-gray. Yeah. I've, I've told Mel... It, it goes World War One London look. It's kind of the... the after looking at Sherlock Holmes and, and all these period movies that are set in London, apparently London was blue. <laughs> it's, it's just, that's the way they make it look, is that weird blue-gray... And then, yeah, okay, it's World War One, so I can kind of get behind the, the stylistic reasoning for that. that. Yeah. But I think it went too far when you get to the end action set piece, which is at night, and it's just a dark film at that point. Yeah. So it's kind of like, eh. Yeah. But enough about that. It was it was still good, and it was still very very good, and it was still worth seeing. So. Yeah, absolutely. It just, I think going. I think if I were to watch it again, I would enjoy it a lot more, kind of knowing the where it's going to go with what they're going to do with it. Kind of like how I, when I first watched Mad Max Fury Road, I wasn't, wow, I, I was wowed by it, but I didn't love it as much as I thought I would because it wasn't as fun as I thought it was going to be. And then the second time I watched it, I had so much more appreciation for it because I knew what kind of film it was. I think I just went in with the wrong idea of what the film was going to be. You just turn your brain off and let it go at that point. Yeah. 
We started the uh, the first episode of Dirk Gently, the the BBC America. Oh, the new reboot. one. It's designed to be a sequel to the books. Really? Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So once I figured that out, I was like, oh, all right. The first <laughs> Have episode. Have you read any of the books? No, but I watched that other series. Right. Which <laughs> <laughs> they were quasi quasi based on the books. <laughs> I want to read the books, but I just still haven't gotten around to them. Uh, the pilot was interesting. It was kind of weird, but I'm interested to see where it goes. I started watching Veep on HBO, huh. which is very much similar to yeah. uh, The Thick of It, and <laughs> very funny. In fact, I almost enjoy it more, but I think more so because I have a better understanding of politics. It's more familiar. Yeah, yeah. and uh, the cast is terrific, and I've, I've never been a Julie, Louis, Julie Louise Dreisman's fan. But quite enjoy her in this. I think it's it's a role Taylor made for her. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm about uh, halfway through season three now. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think I started. I forgot to mention last week because I think I've been watching the last two weeks. So oh okay. It hasn't been that kind of marathon, but it, it's nice because the episodes run about twenty two, yeah. twenty three minutes each. So. I started watching it, but I I just kind of fell off for no reason. I'm going to show some ignorance. I until you said that, I didn't know it was a comedy. Yeah. Yeah. I just assumed it was comedy, yeah. HBO's version of well, the one you watch, West Wing. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Or, or uh, House or of Cards. Cards. Yeah, no, I just assumed it was in that vein. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, it's a comedy all the way through. And in very much in the vein of the thick of it where nothing goes right, ever. Well, in <laughs> ever. fact, Anna Chomsky or whatever her name is, who was in, in, the, yeah, in the loop, yeah, is, is in it in a very similar role. Yeah. Well, and and somebody the, else, The gal too. that played uh, the... Uh, well, her, the gal that she was uh, chief of staff for yeah. is a senator in this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I think the guy that plays Dan was also a, a more of a minor role in uh, in the loop. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So, same universe? It, it almost feels <laughs> well, like it could be. <laughs> the thing is, you got to look at it this way. In the loop isn't even in the same universe as the thick of it. <laughs> That's they're, true. They're, they're similar, but they're, so. they're, they're, they're completely different. In fact, because so many characters play different characters in In the Loop, In the Loop really is its own universe. The thick of it is Earth 1, <laughs> In the Loop is Earth 2, and Veep is Earth 3. I'd say Veep might even be Earth 1. I mean, we, there's, just, because there's no crossover, there's, there's, yeah. we don't know. They could exist in the same universe. <laughs> but, yeah, it definitely In the Loop is, is Earth 2. So what you're telling... This show's still on, right? There's, there's yes, still, in fact, in the middle of Season 6, I believe. So what you're telling me is if it gets renewed for Season 7, Malcolm Tucker could make an appearance now that he's wrapped up this other show that he's on. I remember when Veep started and they did in the loop that uh, there was talk of bringing him on the show as Malcolm Tucker. <laughs> and I, if I, I don't know how much of this was rumor or hearsay or whatever, but if uh, if I remembered right, or hope, what I remember was he got the role of the Doctor and they pretty much nixed that all together. Uh, because right now he has to be the doctor, yeah, the yeah. doctor. So. <laughs> he can't go be so Malcolm after Tucker he's anywhere. done. Perhaps he can come on the show then as Malcolm Tucker. If that's I'm still playing catch up on all those movies I have. To, <laughs> you know, stacks and stacks and stacks of them. I crossed one of them off the list and went, "Yay!" That was about it. <laughs> <laughs> he went, looked over here at the one movie and went, "Yay!" And he looked at the stack and went, "Oh." <laughs> Netflix is killing me. Because they keep adding stuff that I want to watch. And so I go, oh, cool. And I add it to my list. 
I don't ever take anything off the list. It just drops off yeah, on its, its own when it goes away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then I don't realize that I missed out on it. But it just I keep adding. You know, if I get one thing knocked out on Netflix within a three month span, I feel accomplished. But every month I add six. So. <laughs> Let's move on to the news. What's in the news this week, Keith? Our first bit of news is a 1967 original Ice Warrior head was found and preserved and restored by Toy Box Treasures. So it was thought to have been used in both Troughton and Pertwee eras. Which, and there is a full report on the restoration in the latest issue of Doctor Who magazine if you want to go read more about it. And I should be, but am I... Am I the only one that doesn't get excited about that kind of thing, though? You know, they found that Dalek in the... In the uh, swamp. In, in, well, yeah, <laughs> and, and they pulled that out, and I thought, oh, cool, I'm glad that that's there, but part of me feels like... I, I kind of want I can't get too excited about that, I kind of want to know what other ones still exist. If this is the only one, that's really cool exactly. for history. Yeah, but if, but if, if, if it's sitting, the 15th, yeah, I don't care If they much. have one that's sitting in you know the Doctor Who experience right now, or in some archives room somewhere, then... There was already one. Yay, it's great that we found another one. If none of them existed and then they found one, yeah, maybe I could get a little excited about that. But just finding old movie or television relics, to me, unless it's rare, is not a big deal. I bet Van Stanton has one down in the vault. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Now, if they were going to tour with this one, I'd be excited, too, if it's coming here. Yeah, I, that's such a pipe dream. That doesn't even gonna happen. My excitement of it. Yeah. Like, Ooh, maybe because there's that's that's like thinking they'll find the rest of the missing episodes. And <laughs> I'd rather have missing episodes yeah, than well, missing that's props. Just it. I, I get excited <laughs> well, yeah. about something that I eventually can enjoy. So just nice that another piece of who history was recovered and not lost to the ages. Sure, that'll give you <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> because this next bit of news is kind of a head scratcher and. Possibly not good news if you were a fan of class. Patrick Ness is calling it quits on that. The BBC may pick it up for a second season, but he will not come back for it. He is done with the show. I don't blame him. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't blame him. He had nothing but, you know, headaches and nightmares doing that, so it's. I, I can't blame him at all. That's what I can go both ways on. I, I can see the fact that he's throwing in the towel before the official cancellation comes down is probably indicative that that's not going to be well, renewed. And he even says know? in the quote, we should be filming right now. With the new cycles of Who, we'd be pretty much need to be on the air before 2019. But we're not, and that's just TV. And how it goes. So it's kind of like he's just also given up hope that they're going to get a second season. Well, and I'm not even sure it's so much that. It's I think he's got so much that he wants to do with it, but he's shackled by the, the powers that be and the money. And he, I think he's, I think he's soured because the BBC has strung him along for so long. With you know, they say, yeah, this is this is great. We'll find out, you know, find out what it does, and then it, it airs in the BBC, and then it doesn't do very well. And so they're like, well, we don't know if we want to continue this, but we've got a contract with BBC America. It's going to air over there in the states here eventually. So they say, let's see what it does in the uh, when we move it to the main network. And then they move it to the main network at eleven at, o'clock at, at night. Horrible when times. Sees it. And it gets bad numbers again. And then the BBC says, well, maybe, you know, people just don't like this. And he's sitting here going, people don't like this because how you're rolling this thing out. And the BBC is still writing the coattails of BBC America. The only reason they haven't announced a second season is because they're still waiting on what BBC America is going to do on The final episode just aired. Yeah, they're still (laughs) waiting on what BBC America is going to do it. And I think he feels frustrated that they don't have enough faith in him and his series that 
they would go forward with it based on that. But they're waiting to see what BBC America does, and I yeah. think that's unfair to him. So. I would agree. It's unfortunate because it sounds like he had some great plans for season two, which he tweeted about a weeping angel civil war, and then some other things that I'm not going to reveal because you know it could be spoilers for the latter half of the season, which we have not watched. So oh. I don't know. I <laughs> I need to see how the rest of the series goes. That's kind of where I'm at with it. I feel I, more I about more strongly about it. Yeah. Maybe they'll pull a sequest. Maybe they'll come back with a season two with a completely revamped plot and move it forward into the future 500 years. And <laughs> Darn you, sequest. Our last bit of news comes from our good friends at Candy Jar Books. They have announced that there's going to be a Lethbridge Stewart quiz book to tie in with 50 years of the character Lethbridge Stewart, including Target novels, Big Finish, BBC Audio Stories, comic strips, and, of course, Candy Jar own novels and of course obviously on screen adventures that's awesome so yeah look forward to that you can find more details on their website as well as I'm sure pre-ordering it it's going to have some five, 750 plus questions no wait yeah 750 plus questions I'm sensing a revamp of the great traveling the vortex quiz show <laughs> <laughs> the Lethbridge Stewart edition <laughs> yeah Sponsored by Candy Jar Books, and they'll send in the Andy over, and we'll debut it at Time Eddie Three, and they there can be go. there as a guest, and we can do the quiz show, and I'm really trying to hook him. I'm so on board with this. <laughs> <laughs> really trying to hook him. That's it for news. Let's move on to feedback. 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 We got lots and 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 lots of feedback. First yeah. up, Chrissy. Chrissy, now this is actually one that uh, came in just after we recorded last week's episode. Uh, see, now the title of her is The, the $100,000 Pyramid, so now it looks like we ripped off her email and didn't <laughs> give her any credit for it. Sorry, Chrissy. She writes, Dear Vortex Boys, I hope I get this to you in time for this week's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> nope, sorry, Chrissy. I have just a few quick thoughts on The Pyramid at the End of the World. I really enjoyed this episode. It felt like a classic Doctor Saves the World episode, with just that little twist at the end that plays into the overreaching season storyline. I did feel like they missed a trick with having the UN involved, but not necessarily UNIT. I would have liked the chance to have seen Kate Stewart or Osgood here, but that's a minor quibble. Everything else was executed quite well. I love the misdirection, where everyone thought it was going to be this massive war that wipes out humanity, but it was actually a stupid mistake by a scientist in a lab somewhere. Seriously, why do you go to work with deadly chemicals and bacteria after a night of partying and you can barely stand up straight? Thank you, Chrissy. <laughs> I adored Erica. From her very first scene, she was someone to pay attention to. I can't recall the name of the actress, but she did an excellent job. She was funny and relatable and managed to roll with all the insanity going on around her, especially after the doctor showed up. Oh, and she had the good sense to keep her hazmat suit, I think that's what it's called, on in the <laughs> containment part of the lab. Thank you, Chrissy. I almost wish the doctor could take her on as a companion as well. And the ending. Well, it would make sense that Bill's love and care for the doctor would be the key to the monks getting control over Earth. Fear didn't do it. Strategy didn't do it. But the doctor not being able to see a combination lock. That's what did it. Can I just say, stupid, stupid, stupid doctor? And yes, you can read that in your best impression of the eighth doctor. 
I was with you there in spirit. <laughs> I did kind of hope the doctor could have taken a picture of the lock with his sonic sunglasses and sent it to Bill and have her guide him through the setting with the numbers right. But the panic and rush probably didn't help either of them think things through. And I almost thought that 12 would regenerate in this episode. It felt like that it was being set up, even though it's more likely the regeneration will happen at Christmas. All in all, a solid episode and one I liked quite a bit. Next week's looks interesting, almost like the sound of drums, at least in terms of the dystopian tone of it. Maybe that's a clue about the master. Who knows? I'm just guessing. Those are my thoughts. Hope you're all doing well. Talk to you soon. Chrissy. Thank you, Chrissy. Thank you, Chrissy. Sorry we didn't get to that last week. Up next is Holly. Holly writes, The Lie of the Land. Hey guys, thanks for sharing British Fest photos on Facebook. Awesome. As for the episode, I got a Sound of Drum slash Last of the Time Lords feel from it with Bill and her trying to find the Doctor and what the real truth is. The Doctor putting Bill through the test, understandable, but her reaction was how I would have felt too. Glad to see the monks gone, but why do I get the feeling that this isn't going to be the last we see of the monks? Also, for Missy, this probably is going to play out until the last episode of the season. I'll wrap it up here. Looking forward to your thoughts on the episode. Holly from Wisconsin. Thank you, Holly. Thank you, Holly. Then we have Odd Duck Phil. He writes, didn't quite stick the landing for me. <laughs> hey, who peekins? Yeah, kind of gave my thoughts on lie of the land away in the subject line. We'll get to that. Firstly, something for Sean from last week. You find it hard to imagine well-educated people doing something so stupid as ignoring safety procedures? Remember that intelligence and common sense are not the same thing. Intelligent people are still people, and people are incredibly susceptible to ta-dums. Can I, can I cite pretty much the whole recorded human history to support that theory? And in a crisis like that, with a hangover and a lack of sleep to boot? Oh yeah, I totally see that ending badly, no matter the IQ. Let me, let, me, let me weigh in on that for just a second. I have a non-high security job. If I was hungover and couldn't see, I'd have called in. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just like, nah, not feeling it today. Oh, what are you going to do today? Oh, I'm going to go manhandle biologic entities. I don't, I don't think so. I think it's just a, I don't know. I don't know what the labor, labor force is like over there. Maybe you can't. Yeah. If you're not union, you show up and do your job or you get fired. There didn't seem to be many other people in that lab. Yeah. Because it's full of biohazard stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. He continues, as for this week's episode, I, hmm, I enjoyed a whole lot of it, but like I said, the ending didn't do it for me. I like Missy popping up, condolences on your Missy not in the box theory, Glenn, <laughs> and getting a semi-Hannibal Lecter moment. Nardole continues to be my own personal highlight of most episodes. Well, he may take a second place this week. The doctor cackling madly as they piloted the ship to the bridge takes the gold this week. And the beginning with the tense buildup and the betrayal of the Doctor and finding out it was all a test was good, but I think that's where the problem starts. I looked down at the progress bar when the ruse was finally exposed and saw we were nearly at the halfway mark of the episode. Yes, that was a great scene and dramatic emotion-wise. It was probably one of the top moments of this season. But you're going to devote that much time to this and you leave so little for the resolution of a three-episode story arc? And to me it shows. Bill needed to be the one to get him out of this, as she's the one that got them into it. 
No problem there. But a rousing doctor speech doesn't change the ending from being a click your heels together or clap your hands and believe in fairies ending. Bill's mom felt more shoehorned into this story than Tony Stark's unresolved parent issues in Civil War. Oh yeah, I went there. Bring it. <laughs> I'd say 80 to 85% of this episode was spot on. The remainder, unfortunately, came at the end, leaving a slightly bitter taste. Good, not great. Ready for more of the Missy story arc now, please? A duck fill. P.S. I am not totally against the magic fix resolutions in Doctor Who any more than I am against reversing the polarity or sonic screwdriving the problem away. I really like The Last of the Time Lords as an example. I just don't like it when it feels like they painted themselves into a corner and can't write their way out. So summon the deuce ex machina and call it a day. Yep, but I'll get there. <laughs> we will get there soon enough. Finally, Rachel. Rachel writes, hope for humanity. Hello, Vortex Gang. I didn't want to send in feedback last week as I felt the same almost everyone else and couldn't really form an opinion on the story arc till it was completed. Well, now it is done, as far as we know. So here's my thoughts. Okay, so the fake regeneration might be one of the trolliest moments in Doctor Who history, where I'm not quite sure if I'm annoyed or delighted at it. I honestly never thought they'd have the Doctor regenerate at this point in the season, even if it would have been one of the biggest shockers. I know Moffat likes to go for the shock sometimes, but the regeneration of the Doctor is a big deal, and it would have been fair to the viewers if they couldn't get a proper goodbye. Since the Doctor started regenerating at Christmas, it's allowed fans to mentally and emotionally prepare for a changing of the guard, as it were. I'd give, I'd say to Rachel it's tied, probably, for a second, with the beginning of Impossible Astronaut. Oh, where he shot yeah. and then shot The Eleventh Doctor starts re to regenerate and then dies. Yeah. Yeah. I also never believed the Doctor was siding with the monks. He'd been manipulated somehow. And I'm amazed Bill didn't knock him flat on his back then and there after revealing the elaborate plan. But at the same time, it was excellently done. Pearl Mackey has become such a joy to watch on this show week in and week out. The anger and horror and grief she put on display in the moment she pulled the trigger solidified her as one of the greatest companions the show has had in quite a while. The Doctor has always pushed his companions, even from the very start, and when the stakes are higher, the more the companion gets pushed. Thankfully, Bill seems to take every moment with the Doctor, while emotions can run high, with a fairly level head. While I've seen some complaints about the Love Conquers All resolution, I think considering the somewhat unusual circumstances surrounding the monk's rule over the planet, it required something besides brute strength to win. If it wasn't the Doctor's superior brain to take down the monks, who else would be better than the linchpin of their entire system? Hearing a lie so many times it starts to sound real is a time-tested method of control, and people can be incredibly susceptible to that. What else could break such a strong hold of the lies that the monks have spread, but the ultimate truth, love. The final bit with Missy is a little more ambiguous, and the doctor's face sort of says everything. Missy, tears running down her face, says she has started remembering all the people she killed and didn't think she ever knew their names, but she does. Is this her attempting to repent, or is it just giving the doctor what he wants to hear? It's unclear which the doctor truly believes, but he's not accepting it at face value. Truth and reality are two very different things, as this episode skillfully depicts. But it was also a pretty intriguing moment, with Rassilon's drumbeat reprogramming gone, her sense of self is getting a major realignment. It makes me really want to see what's going to happen with her, 
considering that Michelle has said this run will be the last of her appearances. The Lie of the Land finishes the Monks trilogy with perhaps the show's most hard-hitting, socially relevant episode yet. The Monks themselves ended up not being very important, but that's okay with me. They represent an unstoppable onslaught of repression and subjugation that is scary and seemingly all-powerful, but can be defeated by remembering what humanity is at its best. We would all do well to remember that we have the power. We just have to retain hope. With that, I will close saying that my heart goes out to those in the UK. Your country has been dealt several blows in the past few months, but the outpouring of love and support that I've seen directed to your nation, not only by your fellow members, but the rest of the world, is the exact message that Doctor Who has been teaching us. No matter how dark, no matter how scary, we can persevere. Keep calm, and we will carry on. Rachel. Well said, Rachel. And of course, if you want to send us feedback, you can send it to feedback at Traveling the Vortex or go to our website, travelingthevortex.com, and fill out the Send Us Feedback tab. On that note, shall we move on to our review of The Lie of the Land? Yes. Let's move on to our review of The Lie of the Land. (laughs) Earth! has been invaded and Bill is living alone, an isolated figure surviving in occupied Britain. The doctor is imprisoned and appears to be on the side of the enemy, flooding the airways with fake news. Bill and Nardo must embark on a deadly mission to rescue the doctor and lead the resistance against the new regime, whatever the cost. All right, go ahead, lead the way, Sean. There was a cricket outside the door. I didn't want you guys to think that was my review noise. <laughs> But what's, your, what's your review noise? It cricket might cricket, be a cricket. cricket. <laughs> <laughs> I can't give it the horn, but I thought about it. I didn't like this one. I really, I wanted to. And the more I've dwelled on it, the more upset I get. Maybe somebody else should start and try and give me some positives to latch on to. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Keith, you got anything? Bill was acting was phenomenal. Bill's acting was phenomenal, yes. And there for a moment I thought, wow, what a bold way to have the Doctor maybe regenerate or start to the process of being killed by his own companion. And the fact that Bill as a companion has grown to a point where she recognizes what needs to be done, even if that means shooting the Doctor. I don't think that we have ever had a companion that would be willing to do that to do what needs to be done. That puts her in a new pantheon of companions all of her own. And then to immediately follow that up with sacrificing herself, because that's what needs to be done. Oh, yeah. 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 Bill was phenomenal throughout the entire story. I'll give you that. Glenn, you got any positives? Anything? I don't... (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't dislike the story at all. In fact, I thought it was kind of fun, and I remember enjoying watching it. But there's something there's something missing in it, and I don't know what it is. And that's why I wanted you to go first, because maybe I can identify what it is. I'll tell you what's missing is the plot. <laughs> well, well no, I, I, really, I feel like the, the resolution wasn't earned. The resolution wasn't yeah, earned. Maybe that I would because agree with that. I, if, uh, it seems like a it's this almost I, I hate to say it, but it almost seems to be a four episode arc. Because I would have loved to see an entire episode of this new world, this new regime, Bill trying to fight it, working her way to Nardole, then them working their way to the Doctor to that scene, and then leaving us on the cliffhanger of him regenerating, and then next week we go to defeating the Monk. 
I think that might have made a better story, and then they could have put more time into the resolution of defeating the monks. I'd have been okay with that. I kind of go the reverse. I don't think this needed to be three parts. Well, we we spent a lot of time running about in the Matrix in the first one, and we've kind of touched on that's the only way you can tell that particular story. The second episode was the the highlight, but there's so much running about. Are we going to attack the pyramid? Are we not going to attack the pyramid? Are we acting according to plan? Are we not acting according to plan? Blah blah blah. That by the time we get to the resolution of the second part to set up the dystopian future, it felt like well, most of that didn't matter either. So now you get to this one, and the whole first half of the episode is the doctor on the side of the monks. Oh, but fake out. It's all a test. So none of that mattered. There's very little plot here for three episodes. Everything that happens negates what previously came exactly. before. Exactly. Yeah. And I think here, here's here's what I think about this now on hindsight of seeing all three of these. I think we duped ourselves into thinking this was a three-part story. <laughs> no, well, that's true. It's really not. It's three individual stories, and what it really feels like, and maybe this is the issue that I have with it, I felt like was missing. It really feels like three writers submitted scripts, and Stephen Moffat said, I'm going to figure a way to weave these together. And so it, everything in there sort of feels like an afterthought. Like, this script had great elements. This script had... Because I think we've said that every week. There was great elements in this. There was great elements in last week. And there was great elements in the week before. But there were things that we had issues with it that I felt were very disconnected. And I think that that's probably... Now, looking back, is there's great elements in these because as scripts on their own, as stories on their own, without this whole monk carry-through, I think would have worked a lot better than doing this and making it on the guise of it. It almost makes me feel angry at Moffat because I feel like he, he got lazy and thought, you know what, I'll just take three scripts out of this season and I'll make a, a big epic thing out of it. And I'm very angry at Moffat. Or, or, or there was two, at least two scripts and he said, well, let's see if I can connect the two and make a third one because obviously yeah. he didn't write this one. He didn't write any of the three by himself. Well, he wrote the first one by himself. Oh, the first one was all him? Yeah. Which makes sense from the standpoint of doing a Utopia Sound of the Drums, because Utopia kind of almost feels like its own thing, except for the hook at the end. Okay, so the first episode is Utopia, and then this is the second part. And I think that's part of the problem. So much of this feels lazy. Yeah. It feels like, you're right. There's some some very interesting ideas and there's some great bits. But it I th- I go the reverse. I think Moffat had an idea that he hadn't quite fleshed out well enough to be its own thing. And so he had these two other writers come in to submit their ideas and he went, "Oh, that'll work. We'll just piggyback this idea on with that and we'll kind of make it its its own thing." And it just doesn't work because they're 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 two they're two desperate things. They did. Well, it's, it's almost like this story, they felt like, okay, do sound the drums and turn left and mesh them together. That's yeah. That's the other thing I have a problem with is I, I don't see, I, I, I can see where people are coming from with this sound of drums thing. I, I didn't think of it while watching it. It wasn't but until it's, after. That's just it. it well, I kept hearing that leading up. In fact, I was listening to a podcast that all the while said this is really starting. In fact, I think Andy even brought up this is really starting to feel like Utopia, Last of the Time, uh, Sound of Drums, Last of the Time Lords, and I listened to a podcast that said the same thing, 
And I thought, I don't know where you're getting this because other than it being three parts, it doesn't to me feel like that at all. And even watching this, I didn't quite get that vibe. I see the connection that people are making to it, but not enough so for me to think, oh, this feels like a copycat. And I really get the impression that there's a lot of people that feel like it was a copycat. I feel like it's literally. a copycat. Yeah, and I don't, I don't see that. I don't know if I go so as, as far as copy, I, I, stru- copycat. Structurally, for sure, but even the fact that Sound of the Drums sets up a villain who remakes the world in his image, that's the monks. That's what exactly what we've got there. And the doctor's out of commission for a large portion of it, whether it's prisoner or helping or pretending to help, whatever you want to look at. And it's up to the companion... Martha, in her case, is walking the earth, telling everybody to have faith. And in this, it's it's a carbon copy. It's exactly what that is. But here's where I think so he went one step further. Are we going to get a book? That, oh, I sure hope <laughs> not. The story of Bill? Bill's mom will be the... <laughs> here's where it goes one step further. This part was ripped off from Sherlock. We've got a floating prison. We've got Missy in a glass box. It's all elements of things that Moffat has done before. And I'm angry. I, I, I feel like I've been the biggest champion of Moffat for such a long time because I genuinely love his stuff. But it's starting to wear a little thin. And this episode is like pretty much to the, you've, you've broken me. I am, I'm very upset and I feel betrayed as a fan that you're phoning it in. Whether he had that much influence on it or not, I can't honestly say. But it feels like he did, so that's where I'm going to assign the blame. It's also the regeneration thing. Moffat has trolled us over and over and over and over again since he took over with fake regenerations and misdirection regenerations, and I'm tired of it. Regeneration is, I don't want to say sacred, but it's its a special moment. It's a big moment. It's a, oh my gosh, something is happening moment, and we're going to lose this character that we love so much, but we're also kind of excited to see it happen. And he's played with us and toyed with us Ever since he took over, we've had regenerations that didn't work. We've had River give up regeneration energy. We've had the Doctor give Davros regeneration energy. And now apparently he can just turn it on and off whenever he wants. As part of a test. Done. I am so livid over that moment. And the fact that you wasted half an hour of this story to set up an unfair test yeah. for your companion yeah. who is supposed to be your best friend i agree with that yeah oh i that it didn't sit well with me at all yeah that I whole bit that. and i like i said i, I it just something it about feels like it, something sherlock would have done yeah it really and something about it just didn't sit right it would have been okay if sherlock had done oh yeah it. The it's, it's, it's <laughs> in the character no, for sure the, the, the test not the regeneration no, 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 the, the, okay the i'm waiting is yeah. very much in character of, of sherlock oh, yeah. you come to expect that from him or you're not surprised by it when he pulls something like that right yeah. based on his track record and this the doctor, doctor two doctor two seasons ago i might have been more okay with him doing some sort of test like this because he was that darker prickly but he's warmed up so much that it's out of character for this version of him I think the other thing oh, that bothered me, and, and I'm, me. It, it's not so much that I'm eating crow, it's so much that I think the laziness goes all the way into the fact that Missy was actually in the dang box. Now, well, see, what the, I, the thing with Missy in the box, it kind of makes me excited for the rest of the season because I'm not sure what's going to happen. I don't know what this through line is going to be. Obviously, it's Missy, but what's going on with her and what's ha- the mystery is no longer what's in the box, what's in the box. We're finally done with it. Yeah. We're over it. 
and we get to figure is, out what's going to happen going on, and I have no is, idea what that the is. The problem I have with it is, is he makes a statement in Doctor Who magazine that you're going to be genuinely surprised about what comes out of the box, and then he lays the breadcrumbs <laughs> all the way from the beginning of the season. So nobody was surprised by what was in the box. But me, apparently, because <laughs> I kept thinking, you've got to have something planned. And so well, it's like the magician to be, to be showing technical. you his, the, It's like the magician showing you his tricks. It's like uh, uh, I've, I've revealed everything to you now, and then you're like, well, now I don't want to see your, you know, I don't want to see your performance anymore because <laughs> I don't care. I don't trust you anymore. To be technical, if the quote was, "You're going to be genuinely surprised by what comes out of the box," we've only seen what's in the box. Well, I suppose that's true too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm with but, Keith. It feels and, and, like and I was surprised why she was in the box. The fact that she is wanting to redeem or turn around. Well, I thought that was interesting. That, that, yeah, that I was surprised by that. Aspect. That redeemed it for me a bit, but it just it redeemed it for me. But it also made me angry that that's not what we're dealing with. I'd much rather right. have an episode than, dealing with that than this silly stuff. It feels a little bit like Lost. What's in the hatch? We're going to tell you right off the bat. More questions. Oh, okay. I mean, th- th- that part of the story I'm okay with. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there was, mm, there was just anger. I'm just very, very frustrated right now. And I'm very upset that I'm frustrated. And this is the other thing. I like the idea, and I've said this before, when Doctor Who wants to tackle a topical button, I'm fine with it. This is a really interesting way to do it. The whole monk story is really kind of an intriguing nugget. But it's so blatant and ham-fisted and obvious what they're making references to. We even got a fake news drop line. I, I, this, this is one of those Star Trek is much better suited to do this kind of parallel story. And we're, we're watching Deep Space Nine, and I've said it before, it's amazing to me that stories from 20 years ago are still relevant today. And then Doctor Who comes out and drops this one on me, and it's like, it feels like you're jumping on the current events bandwagon. This is not what I expect from Doctor Who. Now, they're going through something relatively similar in England right now, so maybe that's where it's coming from. And I, I get that. You've got your own things going on over there, and good luck with those. But it's it's not Doctor Who. It's... I don't know if I agree there because so yeah. much of the Pertwee era did the same exact thing. Right. It, it was right, but I'm coming to it far enough removed from what was going on during that time yeah. frame that, that I can't that's, make that's that correlation. The, that's the difference. So. Yeah, that, that's the difference. I agree with. I, I'm 100 behind Keith on that statement. Is that that's exactly what they were doing in the Pertwee era, and even in the in Sylvester McCoy's era, they did similar things with Thatcher and everything. I mean, it's well, they were more coy with. They, they were a bit they more coy. More coy with it then, but. <laughs> bit more coy with it then but yeah, yeah they was in your face very much so in the Purdue era maybe it's, it's just because I'm older and I'm more exposed to it now that I can see right, right. It for what well, it is it versus was, when I you oh, know yeah. when I watched even the McCoy era I didn't get it even so. when we came to Purdue stories it was long beyond what right. the, the cultural relevance at the time for and us. I think even if they had come over here at the same time like they are now the cultural relevance might not be the same because it's maybe this this is because they're dealing with so much more similar stuff than we are right now, right. and the Pertwees might not have been. Well, the Pertwees, I mean, one of the, might have been more UK one of, specific. One of the, well, one of the uh, obvious ones were the uh, ones that dealt with uh, imperialization. Yeah. At the time, we weren't having that yeah, here in the 1970s, exactly. so we wouldn't have been associated with it as much. Um, yeah, however, I'm not saying that you're ones, wrong at all. Well, I totally and, think and you're right. Some is, of the ones that dealt with racism. Well, yeah. yeah th- those obviously would have translated. Yeah, because there are some sides. universal things. Yeah. And and it could be somewhat that 
this is just one of those universal things that Doctor Who tackles. This is not the first yeah. time we've dealt with this sort of issue in history either. I, I also yeah. don't feel... I can see what you're saying about it feeling very ham-fisted. I, I think I even said that... You said that about part of part two, I think. Yes, I or was think it, you're maybe right. Maybe no, you agreed with the, uh, the Phil. Yeah. Talked about the globalization yes, aspects yes. of it. Yes, Well, no. Uh, no, it was uh, an stepping oxygen. Back, it, yeah, it was an oxygen. Oxygen yeah. was the one that I felt was very ham-fisted. This one, I didn't even... Uh, this one was so much... Uh, slightly less. I didn't. I don't come down on the ham-fistedness of this one because I think that I see all of Hollywood doing the same thing with a lot of the shows <laughs> that are happening right now. They're okay. all using examples of society today in what they're doing, and so this to me is just a natural progression for so- another television show that I watch. So I didn't see it as oh being shoved down my throat. I think on a whole it's being shoved down our throats, but I think this is just a small piece of the puzzle, so I didn't have a problem with that. Well, and even going back to our conversation two weeks ago about extremists and how so many other shows are doing similar type stories, this felt, even though I haven't watched it, from what I've gleaned of it, felt very Man in the High Castle. It Like that sort of story. It's the exact same idea. So it's kind of Doctor Who kind of almost jumping on the bandwagon of the other types of stories and that's kind of kind of speaks to the versatility of the show the fact that one week they can do uh, agents of shield story with the framework and then two weeks later completely do a whole man of the high castle situation and i'm fine with that if it's done in such i mean we've joked about the fact that so much of the early tom baker run is oh that's the thing that's frankenstein that's they're just mining these old horrors and 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 doing that and i'm fine with that if that's where you're taking your inspiration from and then giving me something a little different but if you're just going to I mean, when 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 Tom and and those episodes were running, they were pulling from material that was forty years old. This feels like what's on television. Flip, flip, flip. Oh, I'm going to put that in there. Well, flip, flip, flip. I'm going to put that you. in there. Let me make an argument against that. Is this is this felt less like what's happening now, and more like they were borrowing from Orwell's 1984. This film, which a lot is of that too. more than uh, seventy years. Uh, yeah. Well, almost 70 years old now. Right. So to me, there was a lot. The whole memory crimes was thought crimes from oh, yeah. 1984. Yeah. The whole imagery with the, the, the video elements, you know, the, and the flashing in your mind, that was all elements of 1984. Sure. I mean, and that's, that's where they're going from. And I think everybody has that stamp of dystopianism. That's where they, they, they mine a lot of that material from is 1984, no well, matter what and, you're and doing, because we think we see the signs of 1984 in today's society. So we're advancing that idea whenever they're doing oh, these yeah. things. So I think that's the same as... Yeah, no, like I said, you're not as, wrong. ...as classic Who doing Frankenstein from 100 years before that, you know, so... You're not wrong. <laughs> well, and so much of today's society is going back to those classic novels and mining that material. Whatever metrics they're looking at, people seem to be craving that sort of story, and so Doctor Who is also getting some of those metrics and doing some of those stories, too. But again, if you wanted to do a framework story, and you wanted to do a Man in the High Castle story, and you wanted to do a, or a, this thing, or a 1984 story, fine. There's really no reason to make them all interconnected. Well, no, that's a, and that's, that's a completely different issue. That goes back to part of the falling down of... I'm going to pick on Paul McCartney for a minute. I love Paul McCartney. I love Paul McCartney. If you really sit down and listen to a Paul McCartney song, Paul McCartney song. Well, (laughs) Band on the Run. For the most part. 
Band of the Run is three different songs that he stitched together with two bridges and put it out and said it's a thing. And it's like, this doesn't sound like this, which doesn't sound like this. And that's what I feel like within these three stories were the first half didn't match up with the second, but you've got this through line that you're trying to get me to believe is all happening within... Just but wait a minute, Paul learned that from the Beatles that he had done ten years prior to that. I mean, they were doing that with Sergeant Pepper, right? I mean, they were doing that with Revolver. They were doing that with the White Album. They were doing that with songs that they had done before. So I, it's but I, within the same song. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, a day. Of course, now you that that comes from the fact that you had two different writers, and often they would compile things. A Day in Life is a great example of two different, completely different songs stitched in together as one. I mean, it's it's I. I your but analogy, the, I think. Maybe you're going further with it. But the, that's just, the Beatles make it work? The Beatles made it work. Paul did this, this didn't. Paul didn't either. <laughs> that's, that's, Band on the Run, while it's an enjoyable song, for me it felt like a copy of things that he had done in the past. And I think even nowadays, I, things that I listen to sound like things he was doing in the 80s. You know what I mean? So it's just... I think it's a bad, sorry, well, it's just a that bad analogy. No, it's it's, it's a beautiful it's, analogy because, because it doesn't work. I feel like well, yeah, it certainly does. I feel like Moffat is doing stuff that I've already seen. Oh, okay, I got you. I feel I, like I it's sense. it's stitched together fragments of stories that he either couldn't be bothered to flesh out and make its own thing, or didn't know how to make it work. And instead of holding on to it, this is my last chance. I've got to get all this stuff out, and it's all kind of hitting the fan at this point. Here, here's the Maybe thing. that's really, really this subjectively is, negative. Well, I'm willing is, to admit that. Let, let me try to maybe try to come to the, his defense in this sense. I think last year should have been his last year, and I think oh, yeah. I, oh, think I think so wanted to be out last year, but I think he, I think BBC pulled a J and T on him, and they suckered in him to stay in one more year, and so just like J and T, he's phoning it in. That's exactly what's happening. Is he, he feels like, okay, I've just got to get through this year and I can turn it over to Chris. And so that, maybe not even intentionally is he doing this, but subconsciously he's putting together things that are lazy because he doesn't really want to be there. He wanted to have been out a year ago. He's exhausted because of Sherlock. He's exhausted because he's you know takes the full reins of Doctor Who and where it's going. And he's ready to be done this year. He's got spring fever. Is basically what it is. It's that <laughs> last two months of yeah of your senior year where you are pretty much just turning things in to get them turned in so you can get to the graduation. And, and we've all been there. We've all had those moments. And in in my world, I would like to think that if you were in any way in charge of your destiny, which I would think being a showrunner in today's world of a show like Doctor Who, that you would have some say. The BBC says, we want you to stick around for another year. Chris Chibnall is not ready to take over the show. He's finishing up. We, we need somebody to keep the hand on the till for one more season and do this. And you go, okay, I'll do it. But I only want to write three episodes this season. Can I hire two extra writers to come in and submit stuff? Can I do... You've got to have that kind of moment. Because he knows when he's burned out. You know when you're burned out. I know when I'm burned out. I know when I'm phoning it in. Hell, sometimes sitting around this table, I'm phoning it in. Well, I don't know. Sometimes I think it does take somebody to tell you, hey, you're not quite at the level you were. You might think you are. He might think that he's being clever. I, I, that's why I say I think I'm coming no, to may, may, maybe, maybe you're right. more so than needs to be done. But I think I don't think it's a conscious thing. I don't think he... I don't not, think he's reached he's not, J&T level yeah, where he doesn't care anymore. He's not doing it uh, on purpose. I think it's just... It's, it's 
the subject of the fact that he he's having to do it now. And, so and maybe you're right. And if if that's the case, and he doesn't recognize I it, think Russell did the same thing. Thank God yeah. that we well, are within the last RTD, four or five. RTD did it the same way. The same thing happened as we got a we got a, um, a gap year full of crappy specials because Russell wanted to be out at the end of that season. And they wanted him to stay on, and so he decided he was going to do these specials. And we ended up with four really kind of subpar specials. The first one was, I think, the best. I think, even though it was giant Cybermen stomping around the city. You thought that was better than Waters of Mars? <laughs> oh, I, Waters of Mars was yeah, was, was certainly the pinnacle. But that was the new one you heard no, 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 him say. No, 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 I forgot. I actually forgot that was in that year. I was counting the other three because that Planet of the Dead was. Yeah, terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Not well, terrible. No, it, wasn't it terrible. just wasn't it was just... great. It wasn't the quality that Russell had been putting out. Speaking of RTD, I may be the only one at this table or even in our feedbackers. I really liked the ending resolution of it. Now, I can't come to the defense as why that was clever writing. I can't come to the defense of whether that was a, a, a great idea to go that way. But I had this sense of, hey, I really like what's happening this was a good idea. Well, it was this a nice. Is, this is Bill being able to save the world in the best way that she can save the world. There's no might. It's all about love. And I'm going to say it. It felt very Russell T. Davis for me, which I have dogged on in the past. Sometimes I've gone, okay, we've gone to this grand, you know, RTD, RTD uh, idea of resolving things. But I really quite enjoyed that. Maybe because I'm so, I've been so exhausted over the last three episodes of this kind of lazy writing and there's something not quite being there that this was kind of refreshing it was almost felt familiar to me and so uh, i i liked that resolution i thought that was a great idea in fact i kind of had that little warm feely you know feeling come over me when that happened and i thought well and, and maybe it's me trying to grasp for good things in the story but it feels like it's the sowing of the seeds planted in the pilot Yes. The fact that all of the stuff with her mom was laid there, and we finally get to have it come back and have a big impact instead of just, yeah, I don't know my mom, I miss her, you know, I think about her all the time, that sort of thing. It actually plays a huge role into it. I was pleased with the doctor's line, too, that the doctor mm-hmm. was surprised by it, that I thought yeah. I was just doing a nice thing. Yeah, he didn't, and yeah, and the because fact that what he didn't it, do it. What it did is it gave Bill the genuine moment of mm-hmm. that Bill was doing it, because it could have easily been the doctor taking credit for it because he planted it, but by his words of saying, I thought I was doing something nice, that took the whole onus on the fact that, oh, the doctor just kind of, you know, did this and knowing that eventually it would fix things, you know, so yeah, I, I like Except that. the next line is, the, the, the whole line is, I thought I was just doing something nice. Turns out I was saving the world again. Yeah, and it's well, like, but he... That, <laughs> that's, that's, that's just the doctor, That is just know. the doctorism, though. I mean, that's this doctor specifically who is, you know... Every, I'm saving the world with my eyes closed. Exactly, <laughs> that kind of thing. So, yeah. but I like the, the fact that, that still puts yeah, that entire... Yeah, I mean, entire, it's just the arrogance yeah, is there. exactly. Yeah. But that puts that entire... Well, onus on her that she's the one no I like that as far as love saving the day I mean (laughs) it wasn't Craig and the Cybermen so here's the difference between that and I like that and I'm okay with that that too too. I I melted on that one too but it's coming (laughs) but the difference here also is we don't have a hard science explanation of how the monks do this or how they work it's a nebulous, ethereal, mental thing that they can do. So an ethereal, mental thing that fixes it, 
totally makes sense. Yeah. Where the Cybermen, hard science makes more sense. <laughs> I mean, if you're right. going to look right. at it from a plot sa- answer aspect of it. Certainly. No, I'm fine with the ending. I, I like the fact that, you know, that Bill succeeded where the Doctor couldn't. That even his brain was no match for, for, for the power of these things. And that was, that was a big dramatic moment. Cool. Bill steps up to the plate, thinking that she's committing, you know, the, the selfless act, and going to be, and, and instead starts drawing upon these images, and you're just sowing those seeds. It's like, oh, cool, they're tying back into that. That's great. I have no problem with that, other than it's last of the Time Lords. I Clap think hands, be more and the Doctor will come back to life. I think the, I would be more upset with it if it were the season finale. Yeah, because we're I'd agree continuing with it, uh, on. I, I think I would have your vitriol. If it were the season finale, that's the only thing I didn't like about the ending. I have, I, I'm not going to bag on Love Conquers All because I kind of happen to think that Love does conquer all. Well, I don't have a problem with that. The thing. other thing that I I think was refreshing about that ending is I'm I am getting to the point where I'm I'm tired of the dystopian thing we're on. I I I'm done. I want to go back to the fairy tale. I, that that's my thing. And in fact, I find myself now going back and watching old movies that don't have that whole dystopian feel to them anymore. I'd rather go back and watch a Disney fairy tale. I'd rather go back and watch The Goonies. I'd rather go back and watch the original Superman tree. You know, I just, I, that's what I want now, again, is that, that kind of feel-good, um, what they used to call the Hollywood ending. <laughs> and we don't seem to get that anymore because everybody's stuck on this. I, you, you described it earlier, how that's, that's what people want. And yeah. so that's what they're feeding into. I'm quite tired of that. So it was a little refreshing to get to that resolution in this one that's already set up as that same tired dystopian trope that keeps, you know, rearing its ugly head because I, it's funny. They always say that in time, when society is down, when society is when when art is mirroring society, art often evolves or changes because it becomes an escape. To me, we <laughs> I feel like we're starting to live in a dystopian era, and now I'm going to go watch that on a film or on a television show. I'm sorry, I think it's the the messaging thing. I think they're trying to get the point out there, and that's why it's there. But I would rather have the escapism because I'm living. Well, this I, I think day. a lot of things are getting revisited because of that aspect. I know the West Wing is getting a huge resurgence, not only because of the West Wing Weekly, but because of the political climate. They want that optimism that the West Wing has. Yeah, I think that's why. That's part I, of why I've gotten back into I, it more I heavily. I think that's why we're rebooting a lot of television. I mean, other than the fact that they haven't had a <laughs> successful news show, and, and Hollywood is completely out of ideas now. I tweeted out earlier today. I used to watch. I'd see all these reboots of these films over years, and I used to think, well, Hollywood's out of ideas. No, no. Now Hollywood's out of ideas because TV's coming back. TV's going back to the 24 and X-Files, which I'm fine with X-Files and Twin Peaks and all those. But when Prison they have completely run out of ideas when they're going back to the stuff that was working for them before. <laughs> I just and not, When you're getting Will and Grace and Roseanne in a year yeah. <laughs> coming back. It's, it's, not, it's not even that we're getting shows that like, oh, they're remaking Gilligan's Island. No, you're going back to the 90s. Yeah. You're, you're not even going back all that far into history. They're not even remaking it. They're bringing them back. No, yeah, that's what's weird about it. They're just continuing yeah. the story. But I would love for them to continue the story of Gilligan. <laughs> I mean, they got off the island two or three times in those films, but they were always right back on that island. Well, they built a resort and invited the Harlem Globetrotters. Well, now, talking didn't about two stories together, Sean. <laughs> I didn't say the robot basketball players was a good element. <laughs> Although I did watch the heck out of that one as a kid. Oh, it's so bad. 
Um, I said, Bill's acting's phenomenal. Uh, Nardole continues Nardle. to be a, a fantastic Nardle was aspect a of it. bright spot and possibly, I can't believe I'm going to say this, the best thing about this episode for me. I really enjoyed Nardle and his interactions and the little asides and things that he did to break the tension other than maybe the Vulcan nerve pinch. <laughs> oh. Can't do it with his hand versus I'm sorry, his. Uh, I like it. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, again, I'll allow it. Again, a fun little lifting yeah. of the of the moment there that I was perfectly fine with that. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because so he Bill makes or uh, Nardle makes this speech to Bill in the. Oh, I can't remember the name of that first one with the uh, book. Uh, Extremis. 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 That's because that, it's a made-up word. Extremis. That, he makes that comment about how you know he's really could you know he he he's in charge because he really is kind of this badass and blah blah blah. Yeah. And and, and, and so the climate of the culture of Doctor Who on social media is like, oh, uh, Narl's really really is a badass. You know, he's just he's really hiding it well. And then suddenly <laughs> she's punching him, and suddenly he's she's punching him this week, and he's like, "Ow, ow!" And then I thought, "Oh, that really hurt." They're completely deflating what all of these people have been bolstering about. He's really secretly this, you know, badass kind of guy. Oh, from the moment when he walks in, and they both go, "Ee!" Yeah. So, you know, so I'm going, "Oh, they're really deflating this." And then suddenly he does this little thing, and he's talking about, it and I thought, "They're onto something." He really is secretly a badass, and he's just we just don't know it because he's so good at hiding it. I did think I almost tweeted, "Yeah, Nardle is a bad." <laughs> he's going to turn into Iron Giant at the end. His chest cavity is going to open up. It's a big ray cannon in the middle of it, and he's going to take out an entire Dalek fleet or Cybermen fleet. I think he'll just transform into that big giant red cyber suit that the, the, the king's oh, head. Oh, please was in. no! <laughs> We've borrowed from so much other stuff. Let's not borrow from Transformers. <laughs> Obviously, the one arm isn't really his. Yeah. This arm so much. Um, there was one other good thing that I wanted to say about it, and I have now forgotten. Bill, Mother, Nardle. Capaldi? Capaldi. Because <laughs> Capaldi's always the good thing of any episode. Love the outfit. Very yeah. third Doctor, green, crushed velvet, almost kind of, you know mirrored the red one that he's got. Yeah. I like, okay, Although I thought it was cool. more black, but all right. It looked green on my TV anyway. You know, I want to check your hues. <laughs> but the red one looks black to me at times. Like, there's uh, times when I can't see, tell it if it's more genuinely red or, or, or black. This one looked green. Oh, whatever. Anyway, um, I thought Capaldi was great. And there was something very effectively creepy about the not quite deadpan way that he was delivering his broadcasts. That smile at the end. The smile at the end, I think, was really offsetting. Uh, oh, it was a very creepy, and, 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 malevolent and, smile. And, and, and amazing. And while the plot machinations of this being a test, there's some phenomenal acting going on in that scene between him and Bill. Oh, yeah. And while... I want to agree with Odd Duck Phil about the maniacal laugh as he crashes the boat into the pier. That's one of those that took me out of the moment. Maybe because it was coming on the heels of this test and I was still sour on that. That could be. But it, it just kind of... It felt like smile. I'm going to go blow it up. But why? You didn't have a... Aren't you supposed to do a thing before you get to that point? You know? 
versus the other one when I'm going to go blow it up. It's like, yeah, go blow it up. That's a good <laughs> idea. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm still t- I'm back and forth on that. But Capaldi's great. He's 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 really 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 great. And as with every episode, I'm twinged with that little. Oh, <laughs> not going to get much more of this. Well, it's kind of a shame that we're we're kind of so up and down on this whole season in general with it his being his last. Mm-hmm. The fact that. If Moffat is, in fact, fully phoning it, just phoning it in, uh, Capaldi deserves better than that. I still think there have been more hits than misses this season. With the exception of... Um, what was the Haunted House one? Knock, knock. Knock, knock. And what was the one after that? Oxygen. 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 <laughs> okay, yeah, we've kind of hit... The, you, you, it started strong for me, and then it kind of hit... me, But... I don't know. We're yet to see. I'm still yet excited about Mondazi and Cyberman. Yeah, so. there's there's still some. Which I have a feeling is going to be the finale now. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> you think maybe? Because yeah. <laughs> we're getting the Ice Warriors next week. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. I guess I'll talk about the next week. I'll shut up. I've been. I'm the, done the, bringing everybody down. I, I was as as much as I like the Ice Warriors, and I've been excited with the idea of them bringing the Ice Warriors back once again this season. I wasn't very wild by the next time on Doctor Who trailer. I wasn't wild by the Thin Ice next bit, time trailer either, and I was wild by the episode. Well, I was the same way. I, it looks a bit cheesy. It looks it looks like I feel like like they did Cold War, and the Ice Warrior was phenomenal, mm-hmm. and they did it, they did it just right. And this one feels like. I should just wait. I should just wait. <laughs> you're you're, I, you're thinking that this trailer made the Ice Warriors look like what you were afraid they were going to be in Cold War. Yes, And Cold exactly. War surprised you so much that now you're not sure they're going to live up to exactly. it. Exactly. Okay. And what Moffat wanted to avoid in bringing Cold the Ice War. Warriors back yeah. in Cold War. Right. Yeah. This is, that's exactly how I feel by this by the look of this episode. Which, again, might be leads back into the fact that Moffat's in this, I really just don't care anymore. <laughs> he just said, yeah, we can do it. <laughs> okay, Mark, fine. Leave me alone. So, uh, Steven, I've got this idea, okay? I want to bring back Candyman. Yeah, sure. This would have been a season to do it. Hey, at least Dude, if we were writing the show, we would have had an episode where Candyman, Candyman the Murka, the, Murka. <laughs> <laughs> the giant rat, and we're just going to... Morbius' monster. We're going to fix all of these <laughs> right off the bat. Just boom. Here. <laughs> the vehicle that carries Brain of Morbius. The creature that carries the Brain of Morbius. Did you notice the um, the Magpie Electric? Yeah. yeah. Uh, when they're yeah. looking in the TV. In the, uh, yeah. I thought that was a clever little uh, clever nod. All right, Sean, what do we got coming up on the schedule? Well, next week on the schedule, if you are joining us uh, after you met us at British Fest, welcome to the program. We do have a weekly Doctor Who watch-along called Friday Night Who. Uh, It is every Friday night at midnight, although the timing may be changing. We'll let you know on that. Uh, This uh, coming week is the Seeds of Death parts four through six, uh, because we watched the first half last week. Uh, So this is a Patrick Troughton episode with Jamie and Zoe and Ice Warriors. Imagine why we set that up for this coming week of New Who, um, which is uh, next week on our show, we will have a discussion of the Empress of Mars. So the Empress of Mars or the Martian Queen? What did they decide on? Empress of Mars. Empress of Mars. Good. Better title. 
Uh, so we will be discussing uh, the new Doctor Who, The Empresses of Mars, which also features the Ice Warriors, and hopefully they won't be as bad as Glenn Fears. <laughs> <laughs> because we were so busy this weekend, we weren't uh, able to sit down and tabulate the numbers for the uh, Doctor Who, uh, Traveling the Vortex uh, Doctor Who Book Club. So we will make that announcement next week, but uh, the contest is now closed officially. The May has ended, and we will make that announcement next week of, of the winner there, so we should keep you... We'll keep you posted on that. <laughs> it's closing the vault back up. I closed the vault. No <laughs> um, more entries. But if you want to uh, help support this podcast, you can click on the uh, travelingthevortex.com. You can click on a button there. It's uh, support us on Patreon, and you can uh, give us a, con- a continuing monthly support. All of that money goes back into this podcast, and then there are some links on the right-hand side of the scre- uh, screen, the page there that uh, will lead you to some uh, affiliate sites that uh, proceeds from the things that they sell also go into this website. You might want to check out our uh, Traveling Vortex store. We also get a percentage of those sales as well with merchandise that uh, has uh, our our logos and things on them. So um, That's all I have. And if that's going to do it for this week, until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. Praise be to the monks. Bite me. (laughs) You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.